All right, I'm going to ask all of, if, if you still live with your parents or a guardian, if you will come up here, even old people like Jacob, <clears throat> here's the deal. We're going to be talking about love, love today, and we're going to be talking about how we are supposed to love God and we're supposed to love other people. And so what I want to know is, who do you know, just name a person, who do you know that does a good job of loving people, loving God and loving people? And you can just pass the microphone down. Just any, anybody. Anybody. Sarita Baker. And I don't know if she's here this morning or not, but um, I've known Sarita. I met her the first day of college, and she epitomizes love for other people. Um, mine would probably be my mom. She's very good at being very uh, caring and loving for others and being a good witness to others. My mom. My grandparents. My Aunt Joyce and my Uncle Lonnie, even though he's really sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> no, not Lonnie. You can go ahead, Jaylee. My mom and dad. Mom. Mom. <laughs> my parents. My parents. My family. <laughs> All right, I got one more question. Okay. And, and you guys can just answer this. You can. Who do you know, think, think really hard, who in your life do you know that does the best job of loving God? Where you just know, without a doubt, that person loves God. So who do y'all think? Anybody have an answer? Your mom? Definitely. Awesome. Notice uh, Mo's not getting mentioned a lot here. <laughs> Anybody else? All right. Well, look, here's the deal. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about God's love and how we're supposed to love like he has shown us the example of. And we're not just supposed to love him. If we love him, we're going to love other people. And sometimes people around us do a really good job of showing us love. Like you guys name some of those people. And then sometimes... The people around us don't do a very good job of showing us love. But what I believe is, is that if we are the kind of church that we're supposed to be, no matter how the people around us outside of these walls, um, no matter how the world loves us, if they do a good job or a bad job, I think that if you guys come here, we're going to love you, okay? And so I just want to reassure you of that, especially you, Nan. We will love you. Even at 72, if you have to live with your mother. That's right, yes. Well, all right, I'm going to pray for y'all, and then you can be seated. Lord, we love you, and we're so glad that these young people <clears throat> were able to name someone who loves them and name someone who loves God. And I just pray that you would help us as a church to pour our love and support into our young people and that we would encourage them and most importantly that we would show them your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. Well, this morning um, we're going to be looking at this message that God is worthy of your love. He is worthy. He is worth it, right? We, we've talked about what, what worship is. Um, Worship is when you give someone their worth, when you reflect that worth. And um, 
what is worth? What is God worth? He's priceless, right? And so we have a responsibility as humans to do our best to show God how worthy he is of our love. We're to live our lives in a way that honors him and that shows him glory. So God is worthy of your love and the love of all people. And so we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 22, verses 26 through 30, and we're going to be looking in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this is a two-part message, and the, we're, uh, I know where I want to cut this message off today because it is a continuation next week, and they do stand on their own, uh, but we'll see how we do with this. So uh, the first thing I want to do is I want to remind you of where we've been. We've been looking at the fact uh, that God has called us all to be disciples. And in that, in calling us all to be disciples, we all have a responsibility um, not just to follow God, but to go and make disciples, as we looked at last week in the Great Commission. And we're to make disciples who make disciples. Two weeks ago, we looked at 2 Timothy 2, too. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so we've been looking at this theme of discipleship that is found all throughout the Scripture. And today, I want us to move from the Great Commission to the Great Commandment. And in this, before we start talking about commandments and rules, uh, there are a bunch of them in the Bible. Um, Someone, you have to be brave, but someone loudly tell me what is a rule that's in the Bible any rule thou shalt not kill honor your parents don't lie somebody over here raise their hand no other gods before me should not kill yeah the, the attitude beatitudes all right so listen up not that you weren't already listening but the, the Old Testament and the New Testament both are full of rules. And the interesting thing about the rules is that um, in order for us to be saved, to be allowed into the presence of God, to be allowed into heaven, we have to keep those rules perfectly. Now, how many of you guys are good at keeping all the rules that the Bible mentions? Right? You, you, you shouldn't lie. Well, how many of us have told a lie? Right? That, that's, that's one that most of us have broken. I just had us up here, um, all the young people that live with their parents, um, just had them up here. How many of you young people have ever disobeyed your parents? Have you ever disobeyed? Okay, a few of you are waving your hands real high and big. Um, we, yeah, so there's a lot of rules in the Bible, and if in order to be in the presence of God, we have to keep all those rules, we would sure be in trouble if it wasn't for Jesus, wouldn't we? Jesus did something that was impossible for any other human. He came to this earth, and he never sinned, and he lived a life that honored God completely, and, uh, This reflects his love for the Father. His obedience reflects his love for the Father. And just the love that the Father had for humanity to to even send his son in the first place is incredible. And thankfully, um, 
by grace, not, not that we deserve this, but by God's grace, he offers us salvation. He offers us his holiness, his perfection, so that we can have something that we would not be able to have on our own. We've already messed it up, right? We've already sinned. Every one of us in this room has sinned, and we've, we, that has caused a separation between us and God. But God sent his son, Jesus, to come to this earth, to be born as a baby, to grow into a man who never sinned, who would then go to a cross for our sake, for our sins. Not, not to be punished for anything that he had done. He never sinned. It was so that he could take the punishment of all mankind on his shoulders. So that anyone who calls on his name, anyone who puts their faith in him, they can have a relationship with him. They can be saved. And so that's what we have to know before we start talking about rules. Before we start talking about rules, we need to know that we cannot follow them perfectly. And that we, we need Jesus. We need his salvation. Because apart from him, we're failures when it comes to being perfect. We're not perfect. We've sinned. We, we have flaws. And so we need him. Now, the reason I'm saying that is, is because I want to make it clear that I understand that our obedience does not save us, okay? But if we're saved, we should obey. And I think that we're going to see this played out through all of Scripture. And in the sermon today, we're going to specifically focus on a time when a man came to Jesus. This was during a season when a lot of people were trying to trick Jesus and were trying to prove that he wasn't who he said he was. And um, the Pharisees weren't having much luck. And so here comes this Sadducee. Here, here comes a man. And um, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, let's see what this man asked Jesus. So Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, he's trying to trick him. And we don't know the exact reason why he's trying to trick him, except all these men were trying to trick Jesus. Um, and he's asking him this question, and I don't know what he was expecting the answer to be. Um, maybe, uh, I mean, he's a teacher of the law. I think that this answer is a very good answer that Jesus is about to give. And I think that it's an answer that a lot of Jewish people at the time could have given. Um, and we'll, we'll look at why that is in just a moment. But he asked him that question, and then in verse 37, and he said to him, this is Jesus' response, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now, was this the first commandment given in the Bible? No. But all the other commandments fit into this. Now, let's, let's finish what Jesus said because he, he had one more thing to add. 39. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law of the prophets. So what Jesus is saying is, is that all the commandments, all of them fit into this commandment or these two commandments. Love God and love others as yourself. Sometimes we leave that self part out, but that's important. 
there, it's just an assumption that we're going we're gonna to love ourselves, but maybe that shouldn't be an assumption for some people, and especially in the culture that we live in today. There's a lot of self-hate, and we have to be careful about that. We can't, we can't do that. And so in this passage here, Jesus is basically summarizing everything, all the rules, all the commandments that are in the entire Bible. And if you think about the, the Ten Commandments, which we're about to go to the chapter right after the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 6. But if you think about the Ten Commandments, they either all deal with loving God, right? Have no other gods before me, right? You're, we're not to worship any other gods. Um, that deals with God. Uh, do not steal. Do not lie. I mean, even outside of the Ten Commandments, you think of commandments, they all have to deal with our relationship with God and our relationship with others and our relationship with ourselves. And so he is summarizing all these rules into this one, love. Now, the irony here is that the Pharisees, which were the religious leaders of the Jewish people at the time of Jesus, because, you know, Jesus was Jewish, um, the, the Pharisees have added, even added new rules in addition to the ones given in the Bible. They had added all kinds of rules, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they cared more about the rules than they did about the people who were supposed to follow those rules. And that's a very unhealthy place to be. We're to love God and we're to love others. We're not just supposed to care about keeping the rules that God gives us because if we're just keeping them as a matter of principle, let me see if I can do a good job of checking off these rules that God gave. If we're just doing it as a checklist and not from a place of love, then uh, we're going we're gonna to fall short a lot. We're going to fail a lot. Uh, but also, we're going to become frustrated because... What fun is there in just keeping rules if there's no love or as a motivation behind that? We're going to become tired and empty. I, I'm not an expert at raising children. I'm just hoping to get mine graduated and not in prison. Um, but I've noticed that when, with the age of my children, eight and four, if we explain to them why the rule is there, it, it might not help them to keep it perfectly, but it gives them a little extra motivation in keeping it. And so what is the fuel that drives your obedience? Is it just a sense of obligation? Is it a sense, or is, does it come from a, a place of love? And now look. From love can come a sense of obligation. From love can come a sense of duty. But if love is driving our obedience, then that's going to be a lot better than just keeping the rules for the sake of keeping the rules. Because what about when those rules are no longer easy to follow, no longer fun to follow, or you're having a bad day and you just don't want to follow those rules? Your sense of obligation, unless you are just the most disciplined person in the room, your sense of obligation is not going to help you much in that moment. But your sense of love, your sense of humility, 
your sense of the fact that Jesus came to earth and suffered through these very things, your sense of knowing who God is and your sense of identity in him, now that can be a driving force. Your love for him can be a driving force. So why are we talking about this? We're talking about this for a lot of reasons. But one is because we're talking about what a healthy disciple looks like, what a mature disciple looks like. And a mature disciple is not just keeping a checklist of things he or she is supposed to do. A healthy disciple loves God. And when they love God, that love spurs them to action. That love causes them to have a desire to obey. And it pushes them in the direction of obedience. And I want to make it clear that in our, even though, let, let me start that over. Can we rewind the tape a little bit? Okay. In our following of Jesus, in our love for him, we can be grateful that his mercy saves us, that by his mercy, by his grace, he has done everything that is necessary. He has looked over our sin uh, because he has already paid for those sins himself. And we can be grateful that he has given us this gift of salvation. And we can have that ever present in our mind while simultaneously, at the same time, know that holiness and obedience honors God. Because here's the thing. When we're saved, we're not immediately taken to heaven, are we? When we're saved, that's, it's not like we'll never sin again. How many of you in here have put your faith in Jesus? That you're a follower of Jesus, you know you're saved. All right, all of you who raised your hands, how many of you, since you were saved, how many of you have sinned? Okay. I, I, I was going to have to walk through the room and talk to you. if. Yeah, we've all sinned, right? But how many of you know that there will be a day where there will be no more sin? Where we won't sin anymore? And praise God for that, right? I look forward to the day where there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin, no more struggling with temptation, no more really, really wanting to do right, and yet not doing what we want to do. No more of that. There will be a day when Jesus returns, when all that is put to an end. But we're not there yet. And so until that day, we as followers of Jesus have a responsibility within the, the, or I should say, on top of the foundation of salvation. On top of the foundation that we have a relationship with God. He has saved us, forgiven us of our sins because of what he has done, not because of what we have done. On top of that foundation, we have to build this tower of righteousness, this life of righteousness. We have to strive to be like him. And are, are we going to fail? Yeah, there will be times when we fail. But we can go to him and repent. We can go to him and turn and ask him to forgive, them, to forgive us. You cannot have the Bible 
you can, in the Bible, you cannot have salvation without pursuing righteousness. You cannot have salvation without that transforming you into a person who desires to obey God. And we see this throughout the Bible. In, in John chapter 14, Jesus has just told his disciples that he has to leave. He's going to die. And that he, but, but he's going to go prepare a place for them. And, he's, he, and they shouldn't worry because they know the way to that place. And they were confused. They, it was a scary moment for them. And they said, well, we don't even know where you're going. How do we know the way? And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. And we all know, not all of us, but a lot of us know that passage. But what is not as well known is that right after that, he begins to tell them what has to happen when he leaves. And he tells them that he is going to send the Holy Spirit. And he tells them that the Holy Spirit is going to counsel them. The Holy Spirit is going to empower them. The Holy Spirit is going to enable them to obey God. And he then goes as far as to say, if you love me, you will do what? Keep my commandments. He says it multiple times in John chapter 14 in different ways. If you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, keep my commandments. And, and then after saying it several times, he says, this is how the world knows that I love the Father and that I'm from him. What was, this, what was the way? He obeyed him, kept his commandments. He did what he said. And so while we are not saved by our works, we are saved by the mercy of Jesus. We are saved by his work on the cross and our faith in him in that work. While we are saved by grace and not by works, we are his workmanship. According to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are to pursue righteousness. If you want the best exposition of this in the whole Bible, then go read Romans. Because this is what Romans is all about. Is that God created us, and in his creation, uh, there's even some, some, even people who don't follow God. We can see some good. There's, there's this thing called common grace, where we can see some good that God does in the world around us. I mean, how many of you can look at nature and you see the goodness of God in nature. How many of you can, I mean, even in the Bible, we have examples of people who weren't even followers of God. Uh, it, for example, the one that comes to mind is, is in Nehemiah, where Nehemiah is wanting to go back to Jerusalem because the walls are torn down. And what does the king do? Does the king say, no, forget it, you have a job, do your job? No. The king not only allows him to go back to Jerusalem, but he sends him back with people and money and resources to be able to build the wall, rebuild the walls. And so there are times when God's grace is evident in the world around us, whether we're following him, whether we're doing what we're supposed to do, whether that person's even a Christian or not. And Romans talks about that. But Romans also says that inevitably that goodness is just a glimpse of what God can do. And that goodness does not mean salvation. That goodness does not mean that those people have a relationship with God. And so in our relationship with God, we have to make sure 
that we are following him and that we are striving to be like him for his glory. Because we can read that the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, and all the laws fit into these two laws. We can read that, and we can just ignore, if we're not careful, this would be wrong, we can ignore everything the Old Testament says and all the rules it has. We can ignore the New Testament and all the rules. People act like there were no more rules given after this. Well, just read the, the letters that Paul and John and Peter and others wrote. Uh, read Acts and what happened when the church began. You will see lots of rules. Rules are not bad. Rules are freeing. Rules let us know what is going to work out for the best for us and for the people around us. It, 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 yes, it, it draws a line, but it's just like... Um, Earlier this summer, Rose and the kids and I and her parents were hiking at Lake Catherine State Park. We were hiking to a waterfall. And there's this like 20 to 30 foot drop at this one point, And there's this rock that hangs over the edge. And uh, John Michael said, oh, Dad, check this out. And he runs and he gets on that rock. And I literally almost fainted. That is not an exaggeration. My knees went, because I'm scared of heights, and my son is standing on a rock where he could fall and die. And I'm like, that is too close. And this, like, for normal people, there would never need to be a fence or a guardrail. But for people like my son, there probably should have been. And in a case like that, I would not be mad at a guardrail. I wouldn't say, how could this, this ruins nature having this guardrail here. No, I would be thinking, this keeps people alive. Thank God for a guardrail. And in the same way, if we're not careful, we can look at rules and we can be like, oh, I can't believe we have to follow this rule and that rule. And how could God or my parents or whoever gave the rule, how could they give that rule? But if we know the heart behind the rule, like a guardrail preventing you from falling off a mountain, if you know the heart behind the rule, it's helpful. And the heart behind all God's rules is love. The heart, the heart behind all God's rules is His glory. What's going to glorify Him? And what glorifies God is going to be what is best for, of course, God, but also for us and the people around us. And so, Deuteronomy chapter 6. The plan here is to look at the first three verses of this and then close out, and then next week start at verse 4. And when we start at verse 4, there will be a few things that are repeated. There will be a natural um, bringing it back together for those who aren't here today. Um, but what we're getting to in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is the Shema, which is one of the most important passages to Jewish people in the entire Old Testament. They memorized it. 
And you'll see later that not only were they supposed to memorize it, but there were some other things that they were supposed to do with it. And this, if we want to follow Jesus, and if we want to know what love looks like, and if we want to know what obedience looks like, and if we want to know what a healthy disciple looks like, I'm not sure how successful we can be without passages like this one to help guide the way. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, we're going to be in 6, but in Deuteronomy chapter 5, if you, have, if you have a copy of God's Word, you can look and see that this is where one of the times where Moses gives what God told him about the Ten Commandments. And then in chapter 6, chapter 6 starts with this really weird verse. It says, now this is the commandment. Now this is the commandment. Now, I think King James, a couple of them translated as now these are the commandments. Um, but when you look at the Hebrew, it's just a weird, I, I don't even know Hebrew well enough to like even understand what it's saying because it's structured so strangely and odd. But I think the reason that it is structured that way is because all the commandments can be combined into one, right? Love the Lord your God and love others as yourself. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules. So, in the Hebrew and in the English Standard Version, the first part was singular, but now it's plural. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. So these, these are rules, and God gave them these rules to be followed. And I want to be clear about something. In the Old Testament, there are three types of rules. And there are civil, civil, civil rules, so rules for Israel, for that country at that time. And those rules, while some of them still might apply to government in general, uh, a lot of those rules are not for us today. Most of those rules, if not all of those rules, are not for us today. There are ceremonial laws. These are laws that were how you did sacrifices and how you did this and how you did that. Well, those were for people who followed a certain system that was in place before Jesus came. All those rules and all those laws pointed to Jesus and what he would do and how he would fulfill the law. And so with those civil laws and those ceremonial laws, those things are done away with. So you might read something in the New Testament that says you can't eat shellfish. Don't worry. Jesus took care of that, okay? We can eat shrimp. We can eat catfish. It's okay. They're bacon. Mm. I got to stop. It's, it's almost lunchtime. Jesus took care of that. He fulfilled those things. But then there are moral laws. There are timeless laws, like the Ten Commandments. Um, should we still obey the rule not to kill someone? Not to lie? Should we still have God as our number one God above all else? No other gods? Yes. And so, while we're talking about rules and we're looking at these, I want to make sure that we understand what these rules are. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, 
that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. Do you notice how all these things that people learned, that they are commanded to teach them to other people? What if Moses would have gone up on the mountain and got the Ten Commandments and never told anyone? Right? That wouldn't have been good. Verse 2. That you may fear the Lord your God. Now, I want to help put some modern understanding to this word fear. Most of you might know it better than I do. But for those of you in here who are not sure about this, and you might think that fear and love are incompatible, that's not true. Uh, fear encourages love. Fear helps with love. And here, here's, here's the biblical type of fear that I'm talking about. The other night, uh, one of my kids, I won't say which one, was acting up. And I used my daddy voice. Y'all know, know those voices, right? All right. So I used my stern voice. And I'm like, so-and-so, you better listen to your mama. And Rose swoons, because that's the most romantic thing I can do, is discipline my kids. And that, but that kid, when, when the kid heard my voice, they listened and they obeyed. Because while I prove my love to my children all the time, I think I'm a good dad. While I prove my love to them all the time, they also better know that I'm dad. And that dad has rules for their good and for their mama's good and for the world's good and for my good. And that they need to, they need to respect that. They need to respect who I am and who is asking them to do these things. They need to ex ex they need to respect the rules. And that's the fear that is being talked about here. It's a reverence. It's a respect that is based in love and knowledge. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. I hope this is like jump. For those of you who have been here the last few weeks, I hope this is just jumping off the page at you and, and it's like setting off light bulbs. You and your son and your son's sons. This is what we've been talking about. We're, we don't just take in information. We don't just allow God to transform us and then live in a bubble where it doesn't affect anyone. No. Disciples are transformed followers of Jesus who are committed to intentionally investing in the lives and spiritual growth of others. And so we... As disciples, make disciples who make disciples. We, as fathers or mothers or whatever, we pour into our sons who pour into their sons, or we pour into our daughters who pour into our daughters. And this is something that is not just a New Testament principle. This is in, it's foundational in our faith. By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Now, we know that keeping these, all these commandments are impossible, but Christ did it. Christ did the impossible. And that we cannot obey all the things that the Bible tells us to obey that are still effective and practical for us to obey today. However, that doesn't mean we shouldn't try to. We should strive with everything in us 
to follow God, to love him, and that love will be evident through our obedience. And our love for others will be evident in the way that we treat them, in our actions toward them. You can say all you want that I love you to a person, but your actions prove whether your words are true or whether they're just words. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that word abused and how many times I've abused it myself. Verse 3. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I want to be clear about something. While there's nothing that we can do to make God love us more, because God's love for us is complete, it's full, it's endless. Can, we, can our obedience make him more pleased with us? Yes. Can our obedience bring more glory to him? Yes. Can our obedience to his rules, is that a form of worship? Yes. And in our obedience, are we professing truly to God from our heart and from our actions, that he is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be followed and worshipped. Yes, he is worthy. He is worthy. That's why we do this. Because he first loved us, and he sent his son for us. And therefore, because he was so kind to reach out and to save us and pull us from the effects of hell, since he was so kind in our inability to fulfill the rules and the laws, to send his son to fulfill those rules and laws for us, and through Christ we can have eternal life, since he was so good to do that to us, shouldn't we strive with everything in us to honor him and to obey him and to glorify him and to worship him and to make him known to our sons and our sons' sons? Shouldn't we do everything we can to go and make disciples who make disciples? Shouldn't we look at the world around us and say, hey, that guideline, that rail, that guardrail, that's there for your good. Not because God doesn't love you or is trying to keep you from having fun. He loves you and he wants to give you the safety and the freedom to live within these guidelines so that you can have the safest and best life that you could possibly have. He loves you and he wants to spend an eternity with you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Why wouldn't we tell the world these things? Why wouldn't we tell our families these things? Why wouldn't we tell our children these things? And so here I am, preaching God's word, looking at the Bible, and telling you that he loves you. He loves you. No matter what it feels like, no matter what your, your, your logic tells you when things don't, or I should say feelings probably, regardless of what your feelings tell you, God loves you. And he's proven that love by sending his son. And he continues to prove it day in and day out. And while we can't see the fullness of why he is doing what he is doing, we can trust in his faithfulness throughout the ages. We can trust that he loves us. And when we experience that love, when that love transforms us and saves us, then we should love others. We should overflow 
with that love, that love should overflow out of us, and it should affect not just our relationship to God, but our relationship to others and our relationship to ourselves. I get so frustrated with myself because of the way that I, I fall and, and I, I, I sin, even though I'm, I'm 38 and I've been a Christian for 20 years, 21 years almost, and, and yet I still sin. I still fail. And, and God loves me anyway. And I have a responsibility to him to when I fall, to pick myself back up, to ask him to forgive me, or I can just say that right there on the ground and ask, God, forgive me and help me to obey you. Help me to live wholeheartedly for you. Help me to love you and help me to love others. And that's what we're called to do. So where are you this morning? Where are you in your relationship with God? How have you been relating to his rules and his laws? Have you been looking at them as just like this set of things that bring you down? Um, If you're trying to fulfill those laws on your own, then that's exactly what they are. They're there to show you that you're not perfect. They're there to show you that you need a Savior. But if you have a Savior, if you are following Jesus, if you've been born again, and you're following him, then those rules should be there as this thing that brings us freedom where we know all we have to do is stay in this box and we can love however God calls us to love. We can love him, we can love others with, with individualistically in the way that he has created us that we can be able to love God the way that he has called us to love. And so where are you this morning? If you don't have a relationship with him, you can ask him to save you this morning. You can begin to follow him. If you do have a relationship, then are you res- relating to God's rules and his laws in the proper way. And then the last thing I, I, I want to encourage you in is this, is maybe you love God, but you've been quelling or quenching that love in a way where you haven't been showing it. You haven't been obeying like you should. Maybe you love other people, but that love that's, in, that's rooted in you hasn't been apparent to those around you. It might be, this might need to be a time of repentance. This might need to be a time where you ask people to forgive you for not loving them better. This might need to be a time of celebration where you just bask in the glory that God loves us so much that he sent his son. I, I don't know what God is doing in each one of your hearts, but, but you know. And if you don't know, ask God to reveal it. And you respond to him in whatever way he's leading. We're going to pray and then we're going to have an invitation. Lord, we love you. And I just pray that this morning that you would help us to see how you want us to respond to you. And God, I just pray that you would truly, truly help us to surrender everything to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.